centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Mike Stroh, one of the pastors here, and I add my welcome to everyone this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. So wonderful to have you with us, worshiping. Matthew chapter 8 is the text we've just heard read. We'll be there if you have a Bible or uh, on your smartphone. You can turn there. Maybe you've seen the show Undercover Boss. Um, If you haven't, the premise is that company CEOs put on disguises and they actually take entry-level jobs at their own companies, Uh, often menial labor, um, labor-intensive work. It's an eye-opening experience for them, for these CEOs, the boss of the whole company, to see what life is like for their employees. Uh, He or she gets to know them and their struggles. But it's not just for greater awareness to see how their companies function on the lowest level. The boss gets to know them. Often the CEO wants to make the company better. And so at the end of the show, there's always a big reveal, if they haven't figured it out by then, where the boss reveals their identity to the people they've been working with. And with the reveal of their identity, the boss usually announces big changes, right? Big changes are coming either to the company or, more specifically, to the lives of those employees that they've been working with, often giving life-changing gifts, writing checks to pay off their mortgages or their hospital bills. On one episode, Mitchell Modell, CEO of Modell's Sporting Goods, found out one of his employees was living in a homeless shelter uh, with her kids. So in addition to giving her a raise, he just cut her a check for $250,000. Now, one of the most compelling things about this show is that it's the boss who's doing it. 
Anybody could go undercover in a company and see the problems. Anybody, even within the company, could see the problems and maybe propose solutions. But the CEO uniquely is in a position to step in and actually do something about it. Well, since the fall of humanity into sin, God has been working among his people. He's been sending prophets and great leaders to turn the hearts of his people back to him. But those people could never ultimately fix the problem. God had to step in himself. And so our God put on flesh in the person of his son, and he came and lived among us. Jesus looked just like an ordinary person. Now, his arrival had been foretold by the prophets for centuries, so it wasn't exactly undercover. But you'd never guess by looking at him that he was the Son of God. But when he started revealing who he really was, it became clear to those who had hearts that were open to receive it. It became clear that he alone could bring the kingdom that was so long promised. He alone could heal our world. Now, this sets Jesus apart from every other religious figure in human history. There have been many great moral teachers, but none of them have had the authority to back up their words with action. Jesus alone came with the authority to do something, to fix the problem. Well, we continue in Matthew's gospel this morning. Last week, we finished our look at the Sermon on the Mount. So far, Jesus has primarily been teaching, as we've been diving in the last several weeks, into the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew ends chapter 7. If you have the scripture in front of you, look at the very end of chapter 7. Matthew inserts this little comment after Jesus is done teaching. He says the people were amazed at his teaching because, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, he taught as one having what? Authority. We'll see in our text this morning, and really for the rest of this book, Jesus has the authority to back up his words with action. So let's pray together as we look at Matthew chapter 8. Our Father, we come to you this morning, as we do every week, in dependence on you, in need of your Spirit to open our eyes, to open our hearts to the truth of your word. And so help us receive what you would have for us this morning with open hearts, with grateful hearts, that we would be more transformed individually and together as a body into your image. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, so look at Matthew 8, and let's start in verse 1. Get the full picture here. Verse number 1, Matthew 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Behold, a leper came to him. And knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So this is the first healing in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew arranges events, not always chronologically, uh, but sometimes thematically to make a point. As we've already noted, Matthew is showing us Jesus' authority, not just in word, but in action. Great crowds, verse 1 tells us, started following him, which is sort of a heading for this chapter and what follows. 
It seems, though, this incident with the leper was maybe more in private or with a smaller group of his disciples. Now, lepers, you probably know, were the outcasts of the ancient world. Leprosy was considered an incurable disease in all its many forms. So they were they had to stay far away from everyone else. There were strict laws in Leviticus for their separation, and they were ritually unclean, separated from the people. This particular man must have heard about Jesus and the news that was spreading about him and his apparent authority because he comes right up to him and he kneels before him. And he says with really great insight, if you are willing, Jesus, you can heal me. In other words, your power really isn't the question. That's obvious. It's just if you choose to do it. If you're willing, you can. Now, Jesus often touched people that he healed. But notice how Matthew draws even more attention to this one with the phrase, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, as if to emphasize the impact of this touch and just maybe how shocking it was. This leper who had not been touched by anyone, probably for many years, is touched by the hand of his creator in human flesh. Now, to touch an unclean person on purpose was forbidden in the Mosaic law. So Jesus is making a statement here. He didn't have to touch him, but he touched him. Jesus shows his love and his authority to supersede that with good reason, to show compassion, to heal. Now, this scene is pictured so well in the TV series, The Chosen, if you've got a chance to see this. I want to show a quick clip of this moment that captures the touch of Jesus. To spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, Rabbi, you can handle this disease. You can. Please, please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, if you can make me clean, only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing.
I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. What can, what can I ever do? Do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor? Please just tell me this one thing. But what would that be for? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> Maybe the best part is Jesus saying, Not too shabby. That's the uh, best line. It's in the Greek. You just have to dig, dig deep. It's easy to see that scene and not only be moved by the touch of Jesus' compassion. He kneels down and he looks that man in the eye. He sees him. He touches him. He heals him. It's also probably easy to look down on those disciples who responded that way so harshly. They were only following custom. Even the Mosaic law. See, Jesus alone could step in and do it differently. Jesus alone had the authority to touch this man and not become unclean himself. To heal what was an incurable disease. As we heard, these early healing miracles often in the Gospels come with this command not to tell anyone. And some often find that strange. But especially early on in his ministry, see, Jesus is revealing himself as Israel's Messiah, but also not wanting the fame to spread too quickly for those that would just want to be amazed and totally miss his message, see. And they would miss his mission. Instead, he tells them, in keeping with the law, go show yourself to the priest as a proof to them, and they'll see it. They maybe won't know what to do with you, but they'll see that something is different, something incredible and impossible has happened, a proof of his unique authority. But let's look at the next episode here, starting in verse 5. There's three little healing episodes in this first half of chapter 8 that we're going to look at today. The second one starts in verse 5. Look there. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. So first Matthew shows us the healing of this outcast, right, by physical condition. And now someone on the outside as well by race and status. This centurion is a Roman military officer, not only a Gentile, but he represents the Roman occupation and oppression of the Jews. But Jesus shows the same immediate willingness to heal. There's no hesitation. Now, Jews regarded Gentile homes as ceremonially unclean. So Jesus' statement here is emphatic, and in the Greek shows it, I will come myself. But the centurion stops him right there. 
I'm not worthy to have you in my house. See, both of them are aware of this racial division. Both of them are aware of just what the centurion is asking Jesus to do. But the centurion makes it a matter of humility instead. He says, and notice his faith, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, he's not heard of Jesus healing anyone from a distance, but he clearly understands who he's talking to. Look at verse 9. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now this guy's saying, see, I understand Jesus. I understand how authority works. As a military man, he knew all about giving orders and following orders. When an order's given, it's obeyed. Simple as that, right? Do you see what he's saying? Somehow he has the insight that Jesus speaks and acts with the authority of Almighty God. This centurion soldier. Just say the word. Give the order, Jesus, and it will be done. This guy gets it. I don't know how, but he gets it. This is simple faith, and yet so rare that Jesus himself is amazed by it. Look at verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. There's a lot going on here, but don't skip over verse 10. Jesus was amazed. It's a strong word here. Very human reaction, isn't it? Jesus is fully God, so he already knows this man's faith. He already knows his heart, but his faith was so unique that it actually amazed Jesus. Only twice in all four Gospels is Jesus amazed. Here, at the faith of this Gentile centurion, and also in Mark 6, at the unbelief of his own people. And that's part of the point here, isn't it, that Jesus is making. He looked for this kind of faith, maybe even expected it, you would, in his own people, but instead he found it in a Gentile. Those who Israel viewed as unclean and outside the faith. Now this foreshadows what's to come in the gospel and the rest of the New Testament, doesn't it? But it also shows this foundational truth of the gospel that all are invited in, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, the respected and the outcast, everyone. But can you, ha- can you imagine having a faith that amazes Jesus? I don't know about you, I usually feel I identify more with the people says, oh, you of little faith, right? When I hear that, I think, okay, that's me, he's talking to me. We can so easily think, I'll I'll never have that much faith. As if only spiritual giants operate in this arena, right? But let's remember what Jesus said, that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. So the question isn't that we have lots of faith, but the question is where we put our faith. Because we all have faith in something, right? People talk about being a person of faith, and faith is great, but faith is really only as useful as where you place it. 
So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the invitation here in this scripture is for you to see that he alone has the authority to forgive your sins. Jesus alone has the authority to reconcile you to God the Father. He alone has the authority to direct your life. And as this passage shows so clearly, nobody is outside of this invitation. Nobody's left out. All are included. As believers, I'm convinced we can have this faith. We can have a growing faith like this centurion had. Because what strikes me most about his faith is that it was simple. It was practical. It was very down to earth. Jesus, you don't need to come all the way to my house. Because I know how authority works. I obey the emperor. Those under me obey me. I get it. So from right where you're standing, you could just say the word. And my paralyzed servant will be healed at your command. See, this is more of a single focus faith than it is necessarily tons and tons of faith. He knows where he's putting his faith. Now, we as believers would say, well, our faith is in Jesus. True. It's in the right place. But sometimes in our hearts, we can have a little bit of faith over here in another category, can't we? A little bit of faith over here in my own ability or A little bit over there in the security I'm finding in something else in my life. Our backup plans. And we need to realize whatever else we're ultimately trusting in, in addition to Jesus, we need to transfer it all to him. That's the point. To not just know in our heads, but to believe in our hearts and to see it transform our everyday actual experience. That Jesus alone has authority in our lives and in our circumstances. His authority covers it. Now let's look quickly at this third healing episode, starting in verse 14. We'll bring this all together. Verse 14. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So we have Jesus here heal Peter's mother-in-law. Catholic Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said the reason he thought Peter denied Jesus three times may have been because he healed his mother-in-law. Let, let the record show I love my mother-in-law, so I don't, I don't even get that joke. It's offensive. I don't know who put that in here. But Jesus' fame is spreading quickly already. He healed all who were brought to him, whether healing their bodies or casting out demons. Notice Matthew writes again, with a word. With all authority. Ultimate authority over both the physical and spiritual realm here. This is the climax of this half of the chapter. Matthew brings it together with another of his fulfillment statements. Here he's quoting Isaiah 53, 4, which says... Surely he that is Messiah, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now this verse is most often interpreted to mean spiritual deliverance, spiritual sickness. But Matthew gives us a really literal translation, maybe his own translation, of the Hebrew to include physical sickness. Now Isaiah 53 is one of the most important messianic prophecies in all the Bible. And it does deal ultimately with spiritual deliverance. But Matthew sees Jesus' healing ministry as part of that fulfillment. 
He lumps it all in. He likes to see fulfillment where he can. And it's there. Because remember, sickness, ultimately, generally speaking, right, is a consequence of sin. Not for the individual person and their sin, but human sin, right? Now, we're not meant to claim this verse as a promise that God will heal everyone we pray for. As Warren Wiersbe writes, God is not obligated to heal all sickness. But he is obligated, by the grace of Christ, to save all sinners who call on him. You see the difference. But there is a connection. So as we step back and we see these three sections, let's consider again what Matthew's trying to do and the way he's arranged this, the way he's chosen to record these events. Jesus has just preached the most important sermon in history. He's got their attention. He's got our attention. Wait a minute. He's talking about a radically different way to live in the world. He's speaking with authority, totally contrasting with the religious leaders of the day. Is it just words? No, it's not just words. Jesus backs them up with action, miraculous, unforgettable action. Shows he alone has been given authority. He cures incurable diseases with a touch. He cures paralysis with a word from far away. And he has the authority to turn upside down all their expectations about who's even invited in to the kingdom. Because he's the king. He's in charge. So how do we respond to this truth? We could make several valid applications about submitting ourselves to Jesus' authority. Seeing that our words and our actions match like Jesus' do. We could talk about how Jesus shatters cultural and racial barriers that get in the way of his kingdom program. How he would have us reach out to those unlike us. Those the world has often rejected. All those are valid applications that are worthy of your consideration and prayer this week. But I personally, I've been more drawn to the faith of this centurion. What would it look like to grow in this kind of faith? What would it look like to pray with this kind of faith that's so simple, so expectant? Think about what's heavy on your heart right now or in this season. Are you recognizing the total authority Jesus has over that situation? If it's for healing... Coming to God, not knowing it's not a matter of Jesus' ability to heal. He's the creator, the sustainer. He's fully able to work a miracle. Lord, if it's your will, just say the word. Just give the order and it will be done. The simplicity of that faith. Now, it's not ultimately on us and how much faith we can muster up, whether or not God will work a miracle. It's ultimately on him. Despite what the faith healers on TV like to say. Lord, if you're willing... It's on you. If he chooses not to heal, we have the faith to know that he will one day heal. He will one day make all things new. Maybe you're worried about paying the bills. This means remembering that all the money in the world literally belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, though for the moment they have quite a bit of it. And This isn't a name it and claim it kind of thing. But praying confidently in the name of Jesus for your daily bread as he's just taught us. Coming to a loving father who knows what you need before you ask. Just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word. Maybe it's a relationship struggle that's heavy on your heart with a family member or a friend and it feels impossible. And it is impossible with you. It's not impossible to him. 
He's got authority completely over that situation. Say the word, Jesus, and their heart can be softened. Say the word, and my heart can be changed to love them unconditionally in a way I was never able to do before. Say the word, and I'll be able to forgive that offense I've been hanging on to for years. Next time you're feeling powerless, next time you're feeling out of options, remembering the one who's really in charge. Choosing to put whatever little tiny mustard seed amount of faith you have, just making sure it's all in the right place. It's kind of like those clueless employees and undercover boss. they got no idea who's working right beside them. In our weakness, we can often forget. We can often lose sight of the fact that Jesus has never left us. He's right with us in our trial, right with us in our circumstance and in our suffering. He alone has authority to change it if it's his will. He's constantly working in our lives for our good and for his glory. He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Such freedom in knowing that. There's such freedom in praying that way and letting this truth move from our heads to our hearts. You're in charge, Jesus. This is your show. Just say the word. Even if you don't, I'll trust you because I get it. I get how authority works. I'll trust you. Let's pray together. Close with a prayer by Robert Hawker. Dearest Lord, we blush to think how slender at times our faith is. When we read of the acts of those heroes in the gospel who through faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions and the like, we're ashamed by our unbelieving hearts. Did Joshua bid the sun and moon to stand still? Did Peter call Tabitha from the dead by faith in Jesus? And am I at such a loss at times to fear that I will one day perish by the hand of the enemy? I beg you, Lord, strengthen my soul in this grace that I may never more question your divine faithfulness. Blessed Jesus, pour in your resources upon my poor, forgetful, and unbelieving heart when doubts, fears, and misgivings arise. Help me to see that in all my journey past, you have brought me through difficulties and dangers. Help me to see that your strength is made perfect in my weakness. What is difficulty when Jesus steps in for his people? The challenge, be what it may, is more for the display of your glory and the exercise of my faith. Help me then, Lord, to look to you and not to the difficulty, because I have nothing to do with it. It is enough for me that my God has promised. You can, God, and you will. How will you do it, Jesus? That is your concern, not mine. You are faithful, you have promised, and that is enough for us. There is no doubt. Yes, Lord, we know your hand is not weak, and all that you have said must come to pass, because he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Amen.